Hello, everyone. You're listening to Slapdash, the podcast about history, art, science, and everything else. We're your hosts, Jason Creekmore and Shannon Deaton. Welcome to the show. In today's episode, we are going to discuss the history of impossible odds. Across from me is a man who won the lottery, got struck by lightning, and found two four-leaf clovers all in the same day. Shannon Deaton, how are you? I'm doing great, man. I'm the luckiest man alive. One in a trillion. Sure. Hey, we may have some similar odds. Uh, oh, we do. For uh, sure. In regard to one in a trillion here yeah. in a little while. So, Shannon, this is a milestone for us. This is our 40th episode. We started way back uh, about the middle of last September. Yeah. So this is 40 consecutive Mondays that we have not missed any. Uh, and that's through the birth of children, purchasing <laughs> of homes, a pandemic. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Christmas. We're not slowing down, <laughs> that's man. That's right. We're 40 strong. That's right. right. This 40, is our 40th episode. 40 weeks. That's awesome. That's right. This particular episode features a lot of topics like divine intervention, fate, and perhaps luck. Just sort of depends on how you kind of what your philosophical bin is. Yeah. Uh, all of the events that we are going to talk about are real and all of them are incredible. So I'll start us off with the miraculous golfing story of Patrick Wills. <laughs> all right. Okay. Let's, let's hear a golfing story. That's right. Shannon, are you familiar with the uh, the golfing term a hole in one? Oh, sure. Right. Yeah. Okay. So typically those happen like on uh, on par threes. It's a little bit shorter holes where someone will hit it. And then sure enough, on the first shot, right from the tee, it goes straight into the cup. Right. And it doesn't matter how skilled you are. It, it's not impossible to oh, plan yeah. a hole in one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. You so can't really aim it. It's just no. so far away. Uh, sometimes you can't even see it. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, th- there are people that, you know, might play for 10 years, maybe. Right. And, I mean, play regularly and get maybe a hole in one. Just one. Just one yeah. ever. You know, I know very few people that have ever gotten more than one after decades. And we're not talking putt golf. golf. No, this is like actual professional golf. That's right. Golf. Right. Okay. Because I struggle with putt putt golf. A hole in one is kind of a rare occurrence yeah. for me. I got really, I got really good at the uh, Nintendo Wii. Oh sure, the, the yeah. Wii Golf. Yeah, I got pretty good at that. But I never, I never did what Patrick Wills did on this particular day. Let's hear it. So Patrick Wills uh, was an amateur golfer, and in 2015, Wills made not one, not two, but three hole in ones in a single round of golf my gosh unheard of unheard of i've never heard of anything like that in my entire life you know from a sporting standpoint you know people hit like half court shots all the time right i mean you could really a good shooter could probably make one out of every five honestly that's something you could practice and likely raise your percentage yeah i mean that that's going to happen weekly right you know somewhere and i don't know what the odds of that would be but i mean that would be that would be something like i mean hitting like maybe 50 half court shots in a row or something i mean you know in a game, like in a live set. Yes, yeah. So Wills uh, accomplished this feat at the Laurel Hill Golf Club in Virginia, and statisticians <laughs> calculated that hitting three hole-in-ones in a single round of golf was more than one in one trillion. Oh, my gosh, man. That's a lot of zeros, Jason. That's that's a lot of zeros. I I have never heard of anything like that in my life. I used to play golf like probably like in my early 
probably late 20s, early 30s. Yeah. Now I was horrible. Okay. I mean, I was like pathetic. I was like one of the worst golfers ever. But the closest I ever came to a hole in one was probably four or five feet. Man, you're you know, way, way ever. better than me. <laughs> so you're talking in terms of actually getting the ball close to the hole. Yeah. <laughs> I've played golf a couple of times and I'm lucky to even just make connection with it. I'm, I'm a terrible, terrible golfer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh, I am too. And I mean, but, you know, no matter how good you are, I mean, you could talk about any golfer you want, Arnold Palmer, Tiger Woods, it doesn't matter. Yeah. None of them have done that. No. That's <laughs> and that's the best deal. that's ever lived on the planet, you know, to play golf. Right. And so, yeah, that's that was remarkable. And that was Patrick Wills, three hole-in-ones in a single round of golf in 2015. That's incredible. So up next in the history of Impossible Odds, we have something that occurred in a casino once upon a time. And, Jason, casinos are sort of stacked against you anyway right that's what i've heard i've never been to a casino yeah i've watched a lot of them on movies and they all seem a little shady (laughs) all those movie casinos man (laughs) yeah i've not been to a real casino either i don't know if i'm qualified to speak on the subject maybe they're just easy money (laughs) no i would be scared just to walk into one to be honest i would there would be i feel like i'm breaking the law by just entering it you know i think every action movie has at least one casino scene and nothing good ever happens in a casino nobody goes in and just you know eats pancakes and (laughs) it's always something crazy so the casino de monte carlo in monaco has been one of the most famous gambling destinations in the world for over 150 years and if i'm being honest that predates how long i thought casinos even existed (laughs) right 150 years that's quite a while that's a while So in August 1913, visitors to the casino noticed a strange pattern on one of the roulette tables. Are you familiar with what a roulette table is? I am. On the roulette table, obviously they have red, they have black. There's one space that's green even. But on this particular day, the ball, they must have been in the twilight zone, (laughs) kept landing on black over and over and over. They were adamant that the wheel would someday deliver a red number that's what the gamblers kept saying (laughs) surely to goodness it's going to land on red so they a lot of people eventually showed up to this roulette wheel and they started placing heavy money on red because you have this feeling in your gut that the universe has to correct itself it's bound to happen right (laughs) at some point so uh, a european roulette wheel has an equal number of red and black pockets plus as i mentioned the single green zero the chance of the ball landing on black in a single spin is 18 out of 37, which is about half. So ha- almost half the time it'll sure. be black, almost half the time it'll be red, and a very small percent of the time it'll be green. So in Monte Carlo that night, the ball landed on black a total of 26 times in a row, the longest streak of a single color ever recorded with odds exceeding 137 million to one. And I know that 26 doesn't seem like a whole lot, but it's, I guess, the statistical equivalent of like flipping a quarter. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And, and it comes up to be heads 26 times. And and after every flip, people place right. a bet, you know, tails, 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 right. 26 times in a row without fail. I mean, that makes sense because, you know, when you apply stats to that, you know, so like, you know, what are the odds of uh, flipping a quarter and landing on heads? Okay, mm-hmm. so it's 50%, right? Right. So what are the odds of flipping a quarter twice and it landing on heads twice? Right. You know, so then it's 0.5 times 0.5. Sure. So it's 
point two five. Yeah, you know, so it's like one out of every four times you flip it twice. You know, so when you start doing that, however many times you use twenty something times, the, the number gets astronomical. It does. It just keeps raising and raising. <clears throat> so that night, gamblers lost millions in a classic case of what's called the gambler's fallacy. It's the false belief that past behavior influences future behavior. The thought was that the roulette wheel had to correct the imbalance <laughs> eventually, almost like we're in a simulated computer program. Right. And at some point, those numbers better start matching what I understand right. to be reality. <laughs> uh, but it didn't happen. And the casino obviously had a very good night. They took the players for millions and millions of dollars. And there are other examples of the gambler's fallacy. It usually appears when we deal with things that frighten us. So, for example, people who fly in a plane a lot without having any issues sometimes think that they are working themselves toward a crash or, right. you know, it's, it's going to happen More because likely. I've had so much safety. Right. Even though every flight obviously is independent of the last and they're not interconnected. You know, the universe isn't <laughs> taking right. tallies and saying, <laughs> right. all right, there's a hundred safe trips. This guy's due. <laughs> Thankfully so. <laughs> People sometimes fall into the gambler's fallacy when lightning strikes or a shark attacks, thinking that it can't happen in the same place twice. <laughs> right. So if, if you hear of a shark attack at Myrtle Beach, just flock down there, man, stand in that same spot because well, odds are surely not, that shark's right. not coming back. <laughs> At it has nothing theoretically. To do, it has nothing to do with the, the blood I'm swimming in, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but there's a problem with the math here, and we sometimes put too much faith into odds and math without really understanding what's going on. If we know that a coin flip will typically result in a 50-50 chance of heads or tails, we're sometimes surprised if 20 coin flips yields a surprisingly high amount of one result or the other. I know I would be. If I were to take bets and flip a coin and it just kept coming up heads 20 straight times. But you know who knows much more about how this works? Casinos. <laughs> Casinos are really good at playing these odds because they calculate their earnings on a long-term average that may last years and has thousands of opportunities for the math to work itself out to do that right. self-correcting that Not we just see one in the night. stats. That's right. Gamblers, on the other hand, deal in low sets of occurrences, sometimes five, 10, or 20 attempts on a slot machine, so the outcome can fluctuate much more. This is why we have the quote, the house always wins. If not today, they're going to win in the long run because they're going to play those long-term odds. We might see the heads on a quarter flip come up 20 straight times, but if we were to flip it 4,000 times or 40,000 times, that result's going to be much less likely. Right. So that's kind of the mindset we get into. But yeah, in 1913, the wheel just kept coming up black for whatever reason. Maybe we were in the twilight zone. I wow, that's that's interesting. Yeah. So what's up next? Uh, the next wild and crazy event occurred on March 1st, 1950 at the West Side Baptist Church in Beatrice, Nebraska. So now just imagine this now, all right? <laughs> all right. The church choir had a practice scheduled for this day at a specific time, and it just so happened that every one of the 15-person choir was late for some reason or another, okay? So literally, no, no one showed up on time. Just like unconnected. Totally unconnected. They weren't on the same bus, and it right. was late. It was like right. everybody this, had their own thing going on. Right. This is 1950. There are no cell phones. No one's texting. You know, it's just independently, everyone's late, okay? And Shannon, it was a good thing <laughs> because uh -oh. shortly after the practice should have started, a natural gas leak caused an explosion that demolished the church. 
Oh my God! So they man. show up at the church. Everyone's late, and the church is in flames. And some of the the, the choir members had homework. Some had car trouble and et cetera, but all missed the practice. And the church members stated that it was divine intervention, and statisticians calculated that event to be roughly one in one million. One in one million. One in one million. That that all fifteen people were late for the same event, and the, and they and none of them were interconnected. That reminds me of the Stephen King novel, the one about JFK. You remember that oh, one? Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know the, what's the date. Do you know the date? I think is it uh, eleven uh, something? Le- yeah, as uh, eleven twenty-two. I don't know. I forgot the. What <laughs> year was that? JFK's assassination day. It'll dawn on us. Sixty-three. Was it sixty-three? Man, I, I sure hope so. We may have to cut this whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to back up and figure it out. But either way, in that book, there's. A few instances where the main characters are trying to stop a plot right. from happening, you know, basically change the future, but nature acts against them, right? So they'll be driving to a destination to stop somebody from doing something, and then a tree branch will fall in the road, or their tire will blow out, or they'll pull a gun and it'll misfire. Something weird like that, something that's sort of uncommon and unnatural will stop them from changing the future. And that's what it sounds like is going on here. I wonder if this is just the plot of a really interesting Stephen King novel. That that's crazy. Those those folks were supposed to live for some, right. for a reason. And uh, I just Googled it. Thankfully, I think we were correct. All right. So yeah. what's the official date? 11 You heard it here, That folks. is correct. For some reason, I was wanting to say 65, <laughs> and I thought that doesn't add up because LBJ will. Yeah. So yeah, 11 Man, we were going to get history shamed. That's exactly right. That yeah. You said that. I just, went, I just went blank for a second. That's right. That's a really interesting story, though. Yeah. So just independent occurrences show uh, they didn't show yeah. up and i mean so you can imagine the first person to show up and right. then the fire's going then like person number two and person number three and i'm sure by person 15 they're like what happened and yeah and everyone's like i have no idea i don't know what happened yeah, yeah. wild so our next story involves the lottery and jason i've never actually played the lottery like in the powerball sense mm-hmm. one of those yeah. uh, i've done like scratch off tickets way back in the day just for right. fun not really looking to do anything with that just, just just to do it yeah it was way back in the day <laughs> um but yeah have you known many folks to play the lottery or have any success at all i mean that? no not really you know uh i always think it's interesting like when i go into like a grocery store and i and i, I go in to get my traditional bottle of diet mountain dew oh yeah and i see where they you know thousand dollar winner oh yeah you know, they five hundred dollar yeah they get so, you pumped up yeah but i don't really know anyone personally that's ever really won like a major amount or anything neither do i except for (laughs) a man named mike dermott and no i didn't actually know him but uh, i know of him and his story is very unique we've all dreamed of winning the lottery i think in fourth grade i had to write an essay on what would happen if i won the lottery you know (laughs) it's a pretty common sort of thing but not many people dream of winning it twice that's always something that you know you think you win the lottery you get rich you go out you do all the wildest things buy the houses you know buy the cars right. pay off your student loans whatever wild things jason <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but you never think about a second round of winning the lottery my mind never really goes right. that far but in june 2002 an electrician named mike mcdermott won two hundred forty six thousand seven hundred twenty four dollars on the uk national lottery after correctly choosing five numbers and the bonus ball. And he played these numbers, I think they said, for about 30 years. Wow. The same numbers, time after time after time. Now, that's awesome. 
Right. Good for him. Congratulations. Congratulations. Man. Fast forward four months later to October. He's still playing. He's still playing the same numbers. In fact, he didn't change the numbers. And something incredible happened. Jason, he won again. Four months later. The same numbers? The same exact numbers. So what are the odds in that? They're probably still trying to figure that up, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mathematicians are still trying to figure this out. But it's somewhere to the tune of one in 5.4 trillion. Oh, my god! That this could happen. And that's trillion with the T. Right. And a lot of zeros. Man, so many zeros on a trillion. Five trillion, in fact. But he didn't just win. He, you know, as we said, he matched the exact same five numbers and bonus ball that he had in June of the same year, having continued to play the numbers out of habit. You know, he thought, why mess with a good thing? I won the lottery with guess, these numbers. Guess he was right. <laughs> he picked up another $153,687, taking his total winnings to $400,411. He put the money towards buying a house on an island which he moved into with his wife immediately after the second win. <laughs> so, as we said, the odds of Mike winning twice with the same numbers were over $5 trillion to 1. With odds like that, do you think these two wins kept him from ever playing the lottery again? Why would it? <laughs> of course not. You know, roll that dice. Here's his statement. Mike said, People say that good things come in threes, so I will definitely be keeping my numbers. I now believe that anything is possible and how fitting for an episode on the history of impossible <clears throat> i always like it when uh, something like really crazy happens and someone just looks at you and they say what are the odds of that and i, and I always say a thousand percent because it happened that's what the odds were yeah oh it, it certainly happened so i'm gonna put my money on that but kind of a cool story yeah gosh so what's up next uh my last event involves a young woman named violet jessup Miss Jessup was involved in not one, not two, but three boat crashes at sea, including the RMS Olympic in June of 1911, a little boat called the Titanic in April of 1912, and the HMHS Britannic in 1916. Okay, pause. <laughs> when you said boats, I thought, oh, she's been in some sailboat wrecks or a canoe. And then you said the Titanic. Yeah, it was the Titanic and two little John boats. Oh my gosh! <laughs> no, so, so, so somebody survived this Titanic and got on another boat. Is that what you're telling? Yes, me? yes. Okay, so you know, so th three separate crashes here. So the, the first crash occurred in 1911, and the boat she was on literally hit another boat. So they hit at sea. The boat basically just was. You know, being submerged, I mean, water was just pouring overboard, and they barely got kind of back into almost shore. It was kind of the channel, and they all had to jump out, get in lifeboats, and swim. And so, I mean, another few hundred yards, and maybe some of them don't make it. So the Titanic wasn't even her first wreck. No, no. Th this is someone who was going down <laughs> on the Titanic as as a second wreck. as a second wreck, right? And was like, "This is like, been here, done that." Yeah. So man, th the first ones like they hit each other. Uh, you know, I'm sure people gets knocked overboard. Uh, she hits the water. You know, they they swim back to shore. About a year later, she's on the Titanic. So I can just imagine the scene. You know, where the boat is totally upright in the water. You oh, know, I've seen that movie. And, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my heart will go on. Oh yeah. And uh, so I can just imagine she's like, you know, you know, this is significantly worse than the first. <laughs> you know, and she's sort of sliding down. Did she calculate the odds in that moment? <laughs> probably, for, for all to know, <laughs> probably not. 
So somehow, this is significantly worse. <laughs> I mean, you know that it had to have crossed her mind at some point. Yeah. That you know, this is the second wreck I've been in in a year at sea, and this one looks really bad. Oh my gosh! You know? And there's like a Bond villain out to get yeah. her. Sounds yeah, like. yeah. So she survives the first wreck, right? Right. Then she survives the Titanic. Okay, now look. <laughs> If I am one Violet Jessup, that's it. I'm finished. I'm over. Okay. Yeah. I'm over two. Yep. There won't be a third. You know, like your guy there said, good things coming three. That's I, right. I'm not pushing my I'm land bound, yeah. sir. That that's it. But no, not Violet. Not Violet. So Violet gets back on her th- her third boat <laughs> in 1916, and this sounds awful. Okay, but that boat hits a sea mine. Some kind of an explosion. Is some kind of like incendiary device, I think, left over from like well, actually during World War One, 1916, and sort of inadvertently just blows this ship up. Like it wasn't even intentional. It was just sitting out there floating almost like a landmine. You see a Jeep roll over top of it. Wow. This is this boat hits this, explodes, blows it all to pieces. She gets she, you know, <laughs> she, you know, according to the article, she uh, she gets thrown from the boat and she hits her head on a piece of iron and that she apparently she had really, really thick auburn hair. And she basically thinks that the, the thickness of her hair sort of saved her life. <laughs> and so they throw her on a lifeboat, take her back to shore for the third time. Oh, my gosh, man. <laughs> you know, yeah. So Violet Jessup and they called her the unsinkable Violet Jessup. Well, she's earned that title. Yeah. If she goes on to be a professional wrestler, you know, <laughs> that would have been quite appropriate. That's right. I always wondered about folks who sink a sh- sink on a ship right. and, and then decide to go on another one <laughs> because I, I'd heard a few years ago about a Titanic 2. Oh, you heard yeah. about this? I have, yeah. I don't know if it actually sailed or what happened, but yeah, just kind of crazy. I, I thought it would be wild for someone to want to get on yeah. that sort of temp fate a little right. bit. But someone who's already sank on two other vessels and gets on a third one? <laughs> yeah. So so one time her boat hits another boat. One time her boat hits a chunk of ice. Yeah. And then the next time her boat gets blown up it's by some kind bomb. of military device. <laughs> yeah. So who knows, man? <laughs> That's crazy. So my third and final story with impossible odds is about something from outer space. So, Jason, ever since watching the movie Armageddon with Bruce Willis, I've wondered whether it was possible for something from outer space to harm life on Earth. If you remember, there's right. this huge asteroid coming toward the Earth. Um, well, not only is it possible, but it already happened years ago, albeit on a much smaller scale. <laughs> it was reported from three states when a meteor entered Earth's atmosphere and made a fireball visible as it streaked across the sky. Some even reported an air blast, an explosion, or a loud boom. So just all of a sudden, from three states, these reports start coming in that they see a fiery object in the sky, they hear explosions, and loud booms. Ann Hodges, who is a 34-year-old woman at this time, was asleep on her couch when the meteor ripped through the sky above eastern Alabama in November 1954. Without warning, the meteor crashed through the roof of her house bounced off a console radio and hit her on the hip, waking her from her sleep, obviously. Anne was badly bruised on one side of her body, and you can Google the photo. It's just horrendous. It's this huge bruise on the side. She's laying in a hospital bed, the doctor's next to her, and there's just this huge black spot where the meteor has struck her. But after this, she was still able to walk. 
So since the meteor had actually landed on the Earth, its status was upgraded from a meteor to a meteorite, if you ever wondered the difference. The meteorite was confiscated by the police, who then turned it over to the U.S. Air Force. And I thought they would turn it over to the men in black. And maybe they did. I don't know. (laughs) Look into this little silver device here. Right. Right. You won't remember a thing. (laughs) That's right. The woman and her landlord entered into a legal battle concerning who should have ownership of the meteorite because she was renting the space where the meteorite landed. The two parties eventually settled with Anne agreeing to pay $500 to keep the meteorite. And I believe at the time there were offers for much more than this going around that people were willing to pay to have this thing from outer space. When the rock was finally returned to Anne almost a year later, after she purchased it and remember it was in possession of the military, public attention around the event had diminished because at the time when it happened a year before, it was newsworthy everywhere. It right. spread across the entire world. But whenever a year passed and she finally got the meteorite given back to her, she tried to sell it. And apparently she wasn't able to because all you know, all the attention around it had sort of subsided by that point. But she had this rock and it came from outer space. She eventually donated it to the Alabama Museum of Natural History in 1956. And interestingly, the day after the fall, a local farmer named Julius McKinney found the second largest fragment of the meteorite. So I guess it had split into different chunks and hers weighed somewhere around eight pounds. I think Julius McKinney's weighed somewhere around three pounds and it was purchased for the Smithsonian Institute. The one that the was found by McKinney, the farmer, the McKinney family were able to purchase a new car and a new house with the money earned from selling the fragment. So this is the second largest one and they got enough money to buy a house and a car Wow. Meanwhile, probably the most famous one in existence, the eight-pound one that struck Ann Hodges, was donated to a museum. She couldn't sell it, and she paid $500 for it. So the net worth of all that was a bruised hip, and she was out 500 bucks. So so she's just on the couch. <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah. just going to make sure I'm interpreting this correctly. That would be and, correct. And there's a space rock yep. that's flying through space thousands of miles an hour i guess whatever uh it decides to enter earth's atmosphere and it <laughs> seeks out her hip <laughs> seeks out that's right and goes through a roof it's or on a mission and hits her hits hits like a radio next to her and then bounces off the radio and strikes her <laughs> <laughs> wow it's great and remains the only person in history at least proven uh, there's some documents from the 1600s where someone else claimed to have been hit by a meteorite but Man, it's the 1600s. Wow. <laughs> it's hard to say for sure. Uh, but in the 1950s, yeah, Anne is the only person in history to have experienced a confirmed meteorite strike. Unbelievably, she suffered no major uh, injuries except the large bruise and was hospitalized only as a precaution. They said, you know what? You've been struck by a giant <laughs> space rock. You might as well check in, get your blood pressure checked, see what's <laughs> going on. Um, but yeah, she she was more or less fine. Anne was quoted as saying, quote, I feel like the meteorite is mine. I think God intended it for me. After all, it hit me, end quote. <laughs> it's hard to argue with that. I'd have to agree with her. Yeah, yep. pretty straightforward. So, Jason, we have a few honorable mentions, things that we uh, didn't discuss in detail, but things that nevertheless are impossible lots, just strange things that have happened throughout history. The first one is in regard to someone who has been dubbed the human lightning rod. We joked about this one whenever you started the episode, but a man named Roy Sullivan, who was a national park ranger, was struck by lightning seven 
times. Over the years, Roy developed a fear of death, rightfully so, and came to believe that an otherworldly force was out to destroy him. Maybe. <laughs> wow. He he and the unsinkable woman, was perhaps. It, has he ever watched Thor? <laughs> <laughs> or any of the Avenger movies? I yeah, don't know. He, he's just been in the wrong right. parts of town when they were filming those movies. Uh, the odds of being hit by lightning once in your lifetime is is better than I thought it would be. It's 10,000 to one, which is still... Really? That yeah, high? It, th- that's higher than I thought it would be. Yeah. yeah so 10,000 to one. The odds of being hit seven times <laughs> is an unfathomable one in 10 to the 28th power. So that's one followed by 28 zeros. Wow. Yeah. So that's like maybe hitting 15 hole-in-ones. <laughs> This might be the most impossible thing on the list. Uh, A second honorable mention is the man who survived two atomic bombs. Sutomu Yamaguchi was on a business trip in Hiroshima, Japan, and you may know this story, (laughs) when the United States dropped an atomic bomb on the city in August of 1945. Yamaguchi was within three kilometers of the blast zone and was injured and badly burned, but still alive. The following morning, Yamaguchi caught a train into the side of the second atomic bomb, which was in Nagasaki. When the city was targeted two days later, Yamaguchi was once again within three kilometers of the blast zone, but escaped uninjured. That's incredible. Can you believe that? That is, that is incredible. I mean... That's just a horrific scene, some of that yeah. stuff I've seen like through history and just kind of hear the tales. That's so sad, And then for but for that... To live you know, through both. Kind of, yeah, that's, that's unreal. In March 2009, Yamaguchi was recognized by Japan as the lone survivor of both atomic bombings. Hmm. Only man in history, or woman, wow. anyone who's ever been documented. The final honorable mention I'll give is a balloon that traveled 140 miles to bring together two girls with exactly the same name. So, Jason, have you ever released a balloon into the air and put a letter on it or anything like that? Have you heard of anybody doing that? Oh, yeah. I remember uh, that was a really big deal in elementary school. You know, because I remember people were like, you know, someone in North Carolina may get this or whatever. You know, you would put your name and your school name and your address and and all that. And uh, I guess mine always ended up like probably like on a... In the river somewhere. An electric line or in the river (laughs) or something because I never got a... You know, a balloon pen pal back or anything. You know, in retrospect, that was probably a very bad practice for the environment. <laughs> yeah. I never really thought it about was, it. It was the 80s. <laughs> it was the 80s. Who cares? <laughs> uh, but in 2001, 10-year-old Laura Buxton unleashed a balloon on her grandparents' anniversary with a note tied to it reading, Please write to Laura Buxton. The balloon traveled 140 miles before deflating and being found by a farmer. The farmer spotted the name and took the balloon to his neighbor's daughter, whose name was also Laura Buxton. The two girls got in touch with one another and continue to be friends to this day. <laughs> kind of cool, man. Just as Rod Serling would expect. <laughs> <laughs> because that balloon was on the border of the twilight. <laughs> and if you haven't listened to our previous episode, please do. Yeah, check it out. So, Jason, yeah, there, there's a lot of interesting things that can happen almost impossibly but they do happen oh yeah so has there been anything that's ever happened to you that has been seemingly impossible or anything you remember? Uh, no not really to me necessarily but there was a really strange thing that happened to my oldest daughter kennedy uh a few years ago and so i don't know if you're familiar with the uh this this massive water park called the uh the wilderness of the smokies right oh, it's yeah, in severeville severeville pigeon forge area yeah sure and so we go down we actually went down there last weekend but uh 
about three years ago, we went there and they had this big, huge wave pool, right? And so, or it's, it's like a lazy river, rather. All right. So, like, there's just hundreds of people going around, just floating around, just floating around, lazy as can be. <laughs> just <laughs> the laziest people you've ever let, you know, you've ever met. <laughs> right. And we were two of those lazy people <laughs> and we were, in, you know, in the water. And then all of a sudden, uh, Kennedy sort of looks at me and she says, I feel something between my toes. And so I'm like, well, it's a leaf or, you know, something like that. And I said, well, just go under and get it, right? So she goes under the water. She comes back up. And I kid you not, in her hand, she has an American Express card. <laughs> and, okay. it, and it was the kind that was totally clear, but with the blue square. Oh, is it man. that American Express or is it? Uh, that sounds right. Whatever it whatever is. Whatever it was. Yeah. yeah. So it was, it, was, it was a credit card. It had a guy's name. It was a valid credit card. The date was still on it and everything. And so I uh, so, – as we finished floating around, you know, so I told Kennedy, I said, well, let's, let's go to the office and, you know, turn that in and everything. But so as we're, as we were floating around though, I began to think about all the feet that were in this pool <laughs> and all the toes and then the, the square footage and the size of the credit card. And, you know, the odds of that had to be astronomical. Yeah. You know? So I anyway. try not to think about the other feet that I find in pools before I get in there. <laughs> that's kind of a dangerous well, thought trail to go down. <laughs> that's the only time I ever really you know, put a lot of mental energy yeah. into other people's feet in the pool. But that was awfully strange. And I kind of thought about the odds of that happening. But like I said, on that day, it was 1000%. That's right. <laughs> it sure happened. Yeah. So Jason, this was episode 40, man. Pretty cool. I'm glad we've met this milestone. That's right. a pretty exciting yeah, so ride so far. We are getting close to closing in, I guess, on our 52nd episode. And that should put us within just a day or two of, of a year. Yeah. One year. That's so crazy. Lots to look forward to. Thanks to everyone who's listening who has got us to this point. We encourage you to follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the handle at SlapdashPod. And also, we would encourage you to share the podcast with a friend. Consider subscribing, and we will catch you in the very next episode. Take care, everyone. Take care, everyone.